for the past number of weeks. We've been talking about transformation. What you saw in the video was a condensed version of what it looked like to be able to see a transformation take place in some physical elements. The first thing we looked at was uh, you saw that tree go down and you just had a dead piece of wood that a lot of people would have just cast to the side. However, you get them in the hands of a craftsman, you would take a piece of wood like this and you cut it down and then you place it in a lathe. And when you put it in that lathe, uh, you began to uh, uh, sand down the edges and shape it and get it to look something like, like a table leg. And so you went from a dead piece of wood that really nobody wanted uh, to be something that is a table leg. Then you also saw about the coffee process. You know, coffee, it grows on trees and it becomes these... Uh, cherries. And when you pick, the, you pick the cherries, then you just break open the outer casing. And as you break that open, then there's some other skin that you remove. And what you end up with is these green coffee beans. Now, these green coffee beans, if you tried to brew them, what you would get is you'd get a taste that was an astringent, acidic, not a very good taste. And there wouldn't be much of an aroma that would come from it either. However, if you take these same beans and you put it through a roasting process, there's a cellular change that happens in the makeup of the bean. And not only does it become a darker look, but when it is brewed, then it also begins an aromatic, uh, aromatic flavor. And also it has an aroma that will penetrate the walls of a house. And it smells just wonderful. A transformation took place. Then we talked about like a potter in the clay. If you take this, this hunk of clay and then you get it in the hands of an artisan and they begin to, to knead it and, and work on it and try to get all the air out of it. And then they'll take it and they'll place it on a wheel. And on that potter's wheel, as it goes around, they will shape it. Then they will glaze it. They heat it. They cool it. They heat it. And then in the final product is something that has a permanent structure about it. It's been transformed from clay to a mug. Then if you took sand, and if you took sand and you put it in a heated furnace and you get it to the right temperature, the heat of the sand becomes what is called molten glass. And you take a uh, blowpipe, place it in there, and then at the tip of that pipe, there is that molten glass. And then you saw in the video where it took one person to take a breath of air just to blow into it. And when they did, all of a sudden, it began to expand. And then this craftsman begins to shape and move that. And as he shapes it, then he takes it and they cool it and they heat it and they cool it and they heat it. And they get it to the right point until at the end, it becomes like a beautiful picture. Transformation. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes to us and he says, Do not be conformed to this world. That means to be squeezed into the mold of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word transform in the Greek text is the word that we get metamorphosis. And where we get metamorphosis is when you take a caterpillar and this caterpillar begins to become into a chrysalis and he's in that chrysalis, he'll be there for a while and then all of a sudden he breaks forth and he becomes this butterfly. Now when God created this butterfly, he created it to be beautiful, yes, but he also created it to have a purpose. And that is pollinating. And he helps fruits and flowers and vegetables to produce more seeds. Everything that we just talked about through the transformation process has a purpose. 
And when you take a table leg, the reason you take a table leg is you add it with three other tables. And before you know it, you're being able to put a piece of wood on it. You have a table and it's steady that you can operate off of. We looked at the coffee. When you look at the coffee, well, you can take that coffee, you can brew it and put it in a container over here. And I just need to tell you, this is cold, so don't rush the stage. All right, a lot of y'all say, hey, that looks good. But you've got your coffee in there. But then we also got this mug, and the reason we have this mug is so that we can pour the coffee in the mug, and then you can put your cream, put your sugar, and get it like you like it. And then when you get it just like you like it, then you can sip it for your refreshment and your enjoyment. And then this pitcher that we have over here, it can be used for a number of things where you can pour liquids out of it or you can put some water in it and put some beautiful flowers and all of a sudden you've got beauty and you've got joy. Everything that was created, everything that was transformed was transformed into a purpose. We likewise are created to be transformed into a purpose. Now, it says in the passage of Scripture, in that Romans chapter 12, when you look at Romans chapter 12, uh, verses in, in verse 2, in Romans 12, 2, the uh, passage talks about how that we are to be transformed in the image of God. And so, David, I need to get that verse up here, Romans 12. There we go. Romans 12, 2. And on Romans 12, 2, he says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. All right, so there's going to be a transformation it's going to change the way that you think. And then what happens? Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and purpose. You will be knowing God's will and it's pleasing and it's perfect you will know what your purpose is. So we're to be transformed so we know what our purpose is and to be able to serve him and to do the things that we were created to do. The Bible says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So in order to be created for good works, you have to know your creator. You have to know the God who created you so that you can know what you were created for. However, in order to know God, in order to have that relationship with him, the greatest transformation event in history had to occur. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I will tell you, we can talk about history and you can throw out some different things and say, hey, this particular event transformed this. This particular event transformed that. But I would want to argue with you that the greatest transformation event in all of history was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we will see that as we take a look in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you'll take a look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church at Corinth. And as he's closing out his letter, he begins to talk to them about this whole message that he has been sharing with them. Starts in the first verse, and look what he says. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. And if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. He says, I'm getting ready to tell you the gospel message. This is the message I preached to you. This is the message you accepted. This is the message of salvation. And then he comes to verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Okay, look at that. If anyone studied history, you know that uh, a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on a cross. Now, Jesus came and he claimed to be the the Son of God. And as he came to to, uh, make that claim, he was then arrested and people killed him. And he was uh, crucified. He was crucified on a cross and he died. But he says here that he died for our sins. So if Jesus died for our sins, then that means that, um, that we've got a sin problem. Somebody did something for us. Why did that happen? The Bible teaches that all of us have sinned. And that is something that we can all understand. No one's perfect. We always say that. And a lot of times we'll say that. Someone says, hey, you messed up. Hey, nobody's perfect. Hey, we're not. That's exactly right. But because of our imperfections and because of our sin, it separates us from a holy God. And the Bible says that the wages or the penalty of sin is death. And that it means that there's a death to our relationship with God, but it also means that one day when we die, we die in our sins, we'll be separated from God forever. However, here he says, but Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. So when he went to the cross, he went to the cross for a purpose. And that is to take the sins of all humanity on him. And so he says the first thing of importance is that we had a sin problem. We need an advocate. Jesus is our advocate. He died on the cross. Then he says that he was buried that he was buried. They took him off the cross. They wrapped his body up in some linens. They placed him in a tomb. And when they put him in a tomb, they rolled the stone in front of the tomb. And then they put a Roman guard around it just so nobody would steal the body in case somebody wanted to do something like that. So Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. But look at the second half of verse 4. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the crucial point that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the crucial point of all of the story. The resurrection is the greatest transformation event in history because of three things. Number one is because of its importance. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. When Jesus disclosed who he was, when he had his ministry of three years, and he began to teach and tell people about the things of God and began to teach how we're to live for God and with God, he also made the statement that I am the Son of God and that I will die and three days later, I will be raised from the dead. He made that promise to others. He made that promise to his, to his apostles, to those that were his followers. And he says, I will die, and three days later, I'll raise from the dead. Well, because he made that bold claim, and you, have to, and you take a look at Jesus and begin to study him, you have three options as to who the person of Jesus is. And I remember Josh McDowell years ago uh, sharing these three words. He's either the Lord or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. The Lord, if he truly did raise from the dead, 
and he, he's no longer, no longer dead, and he is alive, and he ascended to heaven, then he's truly Lord. I mean, he's exactly who he said he was. He said, I'm the son of God. Nobody has ever died and then raised from the dead, never to die again. He'd be the only person in history that ever did that. The only person who could do that would be God, which means he would be God. And he says, I would be Lord. But on the flip side of it, let's say the resurrection didn't happen, that you open up the tomb and there's the body and that he died, but he didn't raise from the dead. Then he'd be a liar. Because he told you, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to die on the cross. I'm going to uh, raise again in three days. Well, if he lied about that, what else did he lie about? And then you've got to begin to look through all the things that Jesus taught. And you say, well, I don't know if that's true or if that's not true because he's a liar. So he's really no great teacher because he's a liar. Or it could be that he was a lunatic. He was just delusional. You know, we've seen enough throughout history of people that, that were delusional. Who, who thought that, that they could accomplish some things that didn't or thought that they were some Messiah and then they died and they never came back. Well, maybe he was delusional. And then he steps forward and, and he, he dies on this cross and they put him in the tomb, but he stayed dead. That he would be a lunatic. He'd be a crazy person. And so why else would you listen to anything else that's written in Scripture? And the Apostle Paul understood this, and he understood that everything hinged on the resurrection. Because in verses 14 of that same chapter, he says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. He said, we're walking around telling everybody, hey, that God raised Jesus from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. He said, if he didn't raise from the dead, then we're even misrepresenting God. Then in verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. You're still guilty. You're still guilty. Remember that sin problem we talked about at the very beginning? Jesus died for our sins. I'm over here. I'm in a world of hurt. I've got sins that separated me from God. Jesus says, I'm going to die for your sins. But if he didn't raise from the dead, then that means that sin's victorious and death is victorious. You're still dead in your sins. And he says, and those who've also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. He said, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, this whole thing's a sham, and we're to be pitied to think that it's the real deal. The importance, it is the great transformation event in history because of its importance. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. But Paul came back in verse 20, and he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And that's the impact And the impact is that because Christ did raise from the dead, there are two things that we can uh, take for sure. Number one, it validates Jesus' claims as the Son of God. It validates his claims as the Son of God. Listen, he is the only person to have claimed that he could die, come back from the dead, ascend to heaven, and he did that. And it validates his claim that he is the Son of God. And so everything that he said, every, all of his teachings, they would be validated because of the resurrection. That's a huge impact. And second of all is victory over sin and death. Victory over sin and death. There is now a victory over sin and death because someone has died, taken away that uh, sting of sin and the sting of death and has given us victory. Wow. That's a huge impact. 
Because you see, when Jesus was there on the cross, and it says he died for our sins, it was not just that he had the physical death and the physical pain of the nails in his hand and the excruciating six hours from 9 a.m. to uh, 3 in the afternoon to where he was suspended between heaven and earth and experiencing all of that physical pain. He had both the spiritual and emotional pain as all the sins of the world were placed on him. He was the payment for the sins of the world. And in the midst of all of that, and then he was taken down, placed in the tomb. Then when he came back from the dead, what he did is he said, I have paid the penalty for sin. You scratch that off. And I am stronger than death. You can scratch that off. And the great thing about that is that when we go to the graveside of a loved one, it could be a child, it could be a family member, it could be a friend, a coworker, and when we stand there at the grave, that's not the end. Because if they've had their faith in Christ and you've got your faith in Christ, then one day you'll step into eternity and you'll be together with him. And so the great thing is, is the impact of this. This is why this is the greatest transformational event in all of history is because of its importance, Christianity stands or falls on it. It's because of its impact. It validates that Jesus is who he said he is, and that is the Son of God. No other religious leader, go through all of history, pick anybody that you want to follow. No one's been able to make that claim and it become a reality. And it also gives us victory, victory over sin, victory over death. And no longer am I lost and mired in my sins. I now have salvation. But then the last part is the influence. It is the greatest transformational event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of the influence. It transforms life with a new passion and purpose. It transforms lives with a new passion and a new purpose. In verse 20, when Paul said, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the reason he was so certain is because of the appearances that Jesus made after the resurrection, okay? He had died, and when he came back from the dead, for the weeks that he was walking here on earth, he appeared to other people. And because of that, Paul's using that as a testimony and, and as a validation that this is true. Look what he says in verse 5. And he says, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. He said, I know that it's true because he appeared to Peter. And he appeared to the 12, to the disciples. And when he appeared to them, their lives were changed. You see, when the arrest took place, every one of those guys headed for the hills. They all ran away. They scattered. They were scared as could be. And so these scared disciples that were worried about what was going to happen to them because they had pledged allegiance to this Jesus who's now being crucified and being placed in a tomb a change took place because when Jesus appeared to them following the resurrection, their lives changed forever. And all of a sudden, these guys who were so scared, now all of a sudden became a bold, give me with your, hit me with your best shot disciples that said, whatever it is you've got, we can take it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, when this new church is just getting started with the followers of the resurrected Jesus, and they stood before some people who were trying to silence them, this is what they said. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, now, if you go back a, a few months, they, they were scared to death. Now, all of a sudden, there's this boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
That changed everything. They had been face-to-face with the risen Lord, and there was this boldness. And they could look into the face imprisonment, torture, and even martyrdom. But they would never renounce their faith in Christ. They would never question whether he was raised from the dead or not because they had seen him face-to-face, and there was a change in their lives. You see, this is the greatest transformational event in history because when people meet the risen Christ, their life is different. I mean, all of a sudden, you're beginning to see people who've got a new purpose and they've got a new passion in their life because they realize this is true. He is the Lord, and I'm going to live for him. But then he goes on. In verse 6, he says, Then Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He's appeared to over 500 people. What that meant was there was one event to where there were close to 500 people at that one event, and there was Jesus with them, and it said all these 500, they saw him. This letter is written 25 years after the resurrection. He says, and some of these people, some of these people are not alive any longer. Some of them have died. But many of them are still alive, but they can testify that he stood before them. So he's appeared to them, appeared to Peter, appeared to the apostles. And then he comes to verse 6, and he says, then he appeared to more than, then he says, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Now, it's interesting in there that he says, then he appeared to James and the apostles. The apostles are believers. It's not the 12 disciples, it's believers, people who believed and they saw him face to face and now they were convinced that he was the son of God. And he appeared to James. Hmm. I always kept wondering why did they pick out this guy, James? Now, there are some different James in the Bible, but this James was Jesus's brother, Jesus's brother. Now, whether you realize it or not, Mary and Joseph had other children. And after Jesus had been born, then they had other kids. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 and 56, uh, when people were hearing Jesus speak, they were kind of astonished as to how he could say all these things because he was just from Nazareth. And look what they say. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? So within his family... There was more. There was four other boys, and then there were some sisters. There were some girls. Pretty large family. And so he, he has this family, and Judas, I mean, uh, excuse me, in this family of, uh, 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 with, the, with the four boys, he's got James listed first. With James being listed first, you would assume that he's probably the oldest. And so let's just say that James is the oldest. And so after Jesus was born, then maybe a few years later, then all of a sudden James is born. That means that James grew up with Jesus. I mean, he was with him. Hey, when they were kids, you know, they were just wrestling around like boys do, you know, putting them in each other in a headlock, doing little noogie stuff and, and fighting around. And every time one would get in trouble, James would say, Jesus did it. And Jesus says, no, I didn't. And Mary said, hey, son of God, he's perfect. Uh, so James, you're in the wrong. I mean, just think you're growing up in that family and you never get away with anything. You can't sit there and put the finger on him. Hey, Jesus said that. Did you say Jesus? No, I got to go with him. He's son of God. So you're the guy. So all these years, he's growing up with uh, Jesus. Wow, 
He sent him as a kid. Then all of a sudden they grow up together as teenagers. And then he sees him as a single adult as he moves into adulthood. And then he sees him as his craftsman and as a tradesman. And so all these years of Jesus' growing up life, James is right there with him. And he's kind of rubbing shoulders with him and he sees who he is. And then Jesus goes off into his ministry. And there's some passages that teach that while they were, he was speaking somewhere out of town, that the family went and they went and they heard him. And so they were there. They listened to some of his teaching. And who knows, maybe they saw a miracle or two. I'm not certain, but I do know they were there and listening to his teaching. And so they've heard the teaching and they've, and they've, they've seen who he is. And, and even though I cannot guarantee you that they saw this particular miracle, that particular miracle, there is one thing that I can guarantee you about James. And that's in John chapter 7, verse 5. It says this, for not even his brothers believed in him. For not even their brothers believed in him. James was there with him his whole life, but he didn't believe in him. He didn't believe he was the son of God. And just think about that. Of how close he was to him. And all those years, he just didn't know. He just didn't believe. Boy, I thought about where we live in this area. And here in Birmingham. And we're surrounded by the things of God. We got churches on every corner. We got Christian radio stations up and down the dial. We got Christian bookstores that you can go in and get all kind of Christian books and Christian music. We've got seminaries that are located here. We have uh, Baptist universities, Methodist universities. You've got all kind of, of different uh, schools of higher learning uh, that are committed to biblical principles. We got Bible studies going on in offices and in restaurants. And, and uh, I mean, everywhere you go, you can kind of rub shoulders with the things of God. And you know, you can do that and yet miss out and still not believe. Don't you know if somebody was talking to James and they said, hey, you know Jesus, don't you? Hey, yeah, man, I grew up with him. I know everything is uh, about him on that. Wow. You ever heard him teach? Yeah, he's good. He's good. He speaks well. Yeah, I like that. He's good. Yeah, we were over there, Solomon Capernaum, and uh, he did good. Okay. And you could sit there and kind of put your arm around and say, hey, James, he's a believer, isn't he? He's not. And he doesn't believe. But he's been so close to everything, and he's been rubbing shoulders with them that you know what? People could almost think that he did believe. And who knows from James' standpoint, maybe he can even feel like, hey, I'm going to be okay because I'm this close to Jesus. I don't believe he's the son of God, but I know him well. Last Sunday, uh, when we left church, Janice and I, we had to make that most difficult decision that you, every person has to make. And some of you will be making this in few, just a few minutes. Where are we going to eat lunch? Isn't that right? Is that not the most difficult thing to make, to is figure out? So now, where are we going to eat lunch? Where are we going to eat lunch? All right. So we made the decision. We were going to go to Zoe's right over there at Vestavia City Center. So we got separate cars. We drive over there. And as we go in there, we order our meal. Then uh, I decided, I said, oh, I need to go to the restroom and go wash my hands. Chances are I go to the restroom and wash my hands. So I went into the men's room, and I'm in there and washing my hands. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing some music playing. And I'm kind of listening to the song, and I rested. It's a Christian song. Whoa. And I listened a little closer. I said, oh, 
That's Keith and Kristen Getty. That's the Gettys. You know, that's a Christian couple that sings. They're from Ireland. And uh, they're just incredible. I said, wow, how about that? A Christian song in the men's room. This was cool. And, and so I walk out, and I'm in the hallway, and I can kind of hear it a little bit. And I'm saying, oh, gosh, I wonder if they're piping it down over here. And I go in and sit down at my seat, and Janice comes and sits at hers. And I said, hey, how about that music uh, in the bathroom? She said, no, any music playing in my bathroom? I said, hey, men's room, we're having revival. And uh, uh, there's nothing playing in yours? And no, I said, well, I guess maybe guys need the gospel. And uh, I said, well, it's pretty cool. And we start eating. I said, do you? I said, oh, man. Can you hear that? And she goes, I, I can't hear much. I said, yeah, I can faintly hear. I said, that's, that's, a, that's the Gettys. Wow. And, and so we're eating our meal, and then there's a particular song on, on their album that has bagpipes, and, and you can hear those playing. And then while we're eating, I'm hearing those bagpipes, and I said, oh, Janice, they're playing the whole album. I said, this is incredible. I'm hearing Zoe's, and they're playing this whole album over here of the Gettys. And she said, well, I, I can sort of hear it, but not real not real clear. I said, that's incredible. I said, how about that? So I'm finishing up my meal and um, I'm walking out and there's a, there's a couple that visited Weather Church. And so we talked to them a little bit and, and then we headed down and we're in the parking deck underneath. And as I went down into the parking deck, her car's there, my car was over here. And I said, hey, see you at home. Let's head on home. I'm walking in my car and as soon as we get into my car, I'm hearing the Gettys again. And I said, they're piping it into the parking deck. I said, is this incredible? I said, I can't believe it. And I just stepped into my car and I reached into my pocket. It was the Gettys on my iTunes on my phone. (laughs) Well, (laughs) when I realized it, I pulled out of the parking deck. I, I, well, I was crying. I was laughing so hard. I called Janice and all I could do was laugh. It's just, are you okay? Are you okay? And I could only get my breath. I said, you're not going to believe this. So when I tell her, she's got to pull off. All right, almost. She's laughing so hard. And, and she's sitting there saying, Danny, I got to be real honest with you. You know, you're deaf. And um, you don't hear anything. And all through lunch, I'm saying, oh, my gosh. He can hear something, and I can't. There's something wrong with me. And I said, yes, and then how about me keep asking you, hey, what music's playing in the women's bathroom? <laughs> there is no music. Oh, come on. We're having revival in the men's bathroom. What do you mean there's no music playing in the women's bathroom? Do you know why? Because there wasn't any playing. It was on my phone. You know, I completely missed the source as to where all that music was coming from. And I was led to believe it was there as always. I missed the source. And how many of us in this culture can be rubbing shoulders with the things of Christianity and of Christ and yet miss it? James did. But Jesus appeared to him face to face. And when they came face to face, a transformation event took place. Because not only did James come to receive Christ, but it says all his brothers did. If you look in the Acts chapter 1, verse 14, after Jesus had ascended, here they had this group of believers, this early church, and it says all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his, what does it say? Brothers. And some translations take that word and say brothers and sisters. But and his brothers, that means James was one of them, but oh, it doesn't stop there. 
If you go further in Scripture, you get into Acts chapter 15, it says that James was the head of the church of Jerusalem. It's like he was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, okay? So he's the pastor of this church in Jerusalem. And not only that, but he was the leader of the Jerusalem Council. It's these group of guys that got together to sort of navigate the new ways of this church and where they're supposed to go and decisions they're supposed to make. And then Peter and Paul and Barnabas had talked to them about how the Gentiles over here, who most of the Jews didn't like, and they weren't certain if the, if, the, um, uh, if the gospel message was for them. And they said, hey, we shared. And the Holy Spirit came on them just like it did on us. And in the midst of that meeting, James is the one that gave them the green light to say, take the gospel message to the Gentiles. Wow. And in Galatians 2.9, Paul says, James, a pillar of the church. He went from a skeptic who had just rubbed close with the things of Jesus to now all of a sudden becoming a believer and a pillar of the church. And it wasn't just biblical sources. First century, second century, third century historians talk about James and they say he's no longer James the skeptic. He's called James the just because he was devout and he was godly. And even one historian says, James, he has knees of a camel. (laughs) Knees of a camel. You ever seen a camel's knees? They are just one big callus. And it says that he had knees of a camel because he was praying so much that he was on his knees that he just developed calluses on his knees. The influence of the resurrected Christ is the impact it has on an individual's life. There will be this transformation and there'll be new uh, passions in a new direction and a whole new purpose. And for James, that's exactly what happened. Wow. You see, that's what God is wanting to have happen in our lives because we have been created so that we can advance his kingdom, so that we can be his workmanship, so that we can be used by him and uh, and be this great masterpiece that he's created. And he wants us to have purpose in life. That piece of wood turned out to be a table leg that turned out to be a part of this table. It's a great purpose. That piece of clay turned into a mug that could bring some refreshment to you. Those coffee beans turned into coffee that was brewed that could bring satisfaction to you. The sand that was thrown into a furnace that became all of a sudden this pitcher can be used for various things and one is for joy and beauty. It all had a purpose. When we were created, it was not for us to just walk around with no purpose, no guidance, no direction in life. Just live whatever years we have and then die and just go to dust. That's not it. God has created us for a purpose and he wants that transformation to take place in our life. But the only way that transformation takes place is if we come into a relationship with him. In Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, I love the way that he lays it out. He said, it is believe plus receive, which equals become. Believe plus receive equals become. The first thing is believe. You believe both in your head and your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that he truly did come, 
to die on the cross for our sins, that he lived a perfect life, and that when he died on that cross, he took all the sins of all the world. He was our advocate. He was our bridge to the Father, and that he died on the cross. But then when he was raised from the dead, it proved that he had victory over sin and victory over death. And he offers us the opportunity to be adopted into the family of God. You have to believe. You believe with your head. You believe with your heart. Don't just rub shoulders with it. Just believe it. And when you see it and you believe it, say, I believe. What's my next step? John 1, 12 says, to as many as received him, to them he gave power to be the children of God. To as many as received him, you then receive that gift. It's a gift of grace. To say that God has already, Jesus has already died on the cross for our sins, and he says, I offer you this gift of grace if you will accept it. You can believe it, and you can just stand back over here and not do anything with it. Or you can receive it. And when you take that and you receive that gift, it's what we call is asking God to come into your heart, asking, uh, taking, let him take ownership of your life. And it is you telling him, I'm going to let you pay for my sins, and I'm not going to pay for them uh, on my own. Which means that when I die and I stand before a holy God, and if I'm going to try to justify my actions against the holy God, that's not going to happen. And I will spend eternity separated from him. However, if I receive his gift, it says I will become a child of God. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you receive your adoption papers, and you have just been adopted into the family of God. And as soon as that happens, you become his child. And it's almost like he's put his arm around you and says, I'm so glad to have you in the family, but guess what? I need you to kind of stick around on earth for a little bit. And so you're going to stay here on earth. And he says, as you stay here on earth, you're going to go through a transformation process to where you get to know me more and learn more about me. Let God's spirit work in you. And as you do that, you will accomplish the purpose for which you were created for. And then ever how many years that you live on this earth, when that comes to an end and you take that last breath on earth, you then take your first breath in heaven and he welcomes you with open arms and says, come on in my child, glad to have you. And then you'll spend the rest of eternity in heaven doing something that is beyond anything that you can imagine, anything that I can imagine, the joys and the challenges and the glory and the pleasure of what heaven has for us. He says, I have all that for you. But it comes down to believe, receive, and then you become. And so in this Easter Sunday, when we celebrate the risen tomb, knowing that Everything stands or falls on the resurrection. And knowing that the resurrection is true and that Jesus truly is Lord. And he says, I want to come into your life. I want you to be a child of God. And I want to be able to wrap my arms around you and begin this transformation process in your heart. And for you to accomplish the purposes for which you were created. And so as we close this service... I want to give you that opportunity because there's some of you that are here today and as you've come in, you've sat here and uh, you say, you know, I'm kind of the rubbing shoulders thing, but I don't think I've ever really made that decision to receive Christ and I really want to do that. And so I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes for just a moment. And um, if it's your desire today to make that decision to receive Christ as Savior, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. As I share in this prayer, I just want you to pray it in your heart and ask the Lord this. Just pray this. Dear Lord Jesus, 
I thank you for dying for my sins. I know that I am a sinner and that I have been separated from you. I thank you that you died for my sins. And I thank you for the truth of the resurrection. And so I ask you to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Take ownership of my life. Begin that transformation process in me so that I can accomplish the things that you've called me to accomplish that would bring honor and glory to your name. Amen.